I had a chance today to um, have lunch with a newly ordained priest. That's cool. He's been a priest for three months. And it was really fun sitting and talking with him about his his first experiences as a priest. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's saying mass, confessions, uh, anointings, he, and then talking about the things that he hasn't yet done as a priest. Mm-hmm. So he's three months in. He hasn't had a wedding yet. Oh, he's excited. Which he's isn't excited. unusual, right? He's just He was just ordained, mm-hmm. and he was ordained right as wedding season was beginning. Well, mm-hmm. typically, you've, you've worked with a couple for about a year before they get married. Mm-hmm. So he might not see his first wedding for a little while, but he'll start working with couples in marriage prep, mm-hmm. which means that by the time he does get to his first wedding, it'll, it'll be fine. Um, and... You know, so like I had, uh, I had, I had some friends who were getting married right as I was ordained. Mm-hmm. So I did the wedding. They did their marriage prep before without mm-hmm. me, and I, I got to to do their weddings. But really cool to just sit with him and, and talk over what those experiences were like. And he brought up something that I thought was really uh, profound for like talking priesthood, which was the the humbling experience of of having people speak to him as a priest which is still something he's getting used to, mm. right? The idea of being called father, father yeah. um, and, and the idea of, of people coming to him looking for a blessing, for a sacrament mm-hmm. um, and, and needing something. Uh, and in a certain way, like holding him with a certain reverence and regard. Mm. He talked about how humbling it was to have somebody who he's known for a number of years come up and and ask to go to confession wow you know he didn't tell me who it was or anything about what they said of course respecting the the seal of confession but he said it was just a humbling experience to be approached and and Mm i we were able to talk about that and i said you know yes as a new priest Mm -hmm. it's very humbling when people who have known you for a while come to you because you are a priest yeah and not because you're the guy who they've known for x number of years yeah it's a really humbling and and beautiful experience in that Mm. so that was fun that, that was really that was fun. a good time. That's awesome. Yeah, that is huge though, and kind of beautiful to see a new priest in his mm-hmm. like, as he's as he's growing into it. Because I think what a lot of people might forget is that a priest is ordained, but he's growing into the identity. Mm. Right, just as a teacher is growing into their identity as a teacher, mm-hmm. when they first start out, they get their first teaching job and they they have to get used to teaching and. Um, mm-hmm. or a doctor or a lawyer or whoever it is, they have to have a whole bunch of their firsts. Yeah. They have to hit their first milestones. Yeah. And as they hit those different milestones and, and do those, those things along the path, they're, they're learning more. It's now the on the job training that, that really has to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes, I don't know, maybe this is, might just be my own perception. I don't know if you've ever thought this, but that once a guy's a priest, that's it. Like he's, he's finished product. He knows what he's doing. I think that's what most people think, or they think the same thing about saints. Saints were just like born mm. saints, but they didn't like saints grow on trees. Yeah, right. Just like money. <laughs> just Who knew? Like, exactly like money. Yes, <laughs> yes. Thank you. Finally, somebody gets it. I know. Come on. <laughs> Money's made of paper. <laughs> paper comes from trees. <laughs> saints grow on trees. Yeah. No, that's actually that's really beautiful. I think, um, which kind of gets to this point where, like, in the, even in your own life, you never get to a point where you've arrived. You're always growing. Mm. Like you've never, you or like, you're like until I get to this point, then I can do this or then I can do that. But it, there's always going to be the next thing. And so if I understand that my whole life is a journey of growth where I'm going through different stages and different experiences, I, I need to kind of be in 
open to that. So this morning I was listening to Tony Robbins. Do you know who that is? Yes. Okay. So he was doing a podcast episode with the founder of Chick-fil-A. So I was like learning some, so oh, that's pretty cool. Like this is how Chick-fil-A started. Um, Did you get a free sandwich out of the deal? No, it was just then it wasn't worth your time. <laughs> it wasn't I'm worth sorry. my time. <laughs> but I was really, I was really intrigued by the CEO whose name tag con- it says in training, and he does that purposefully. Like he's like, just because I'm a CEO and I've been doing this for decades doesn't mean that I've stopped learning. I'm and interested want- in the idea that the CEO still wears a name tag. You know what? That's the culture <laughs> that he just wants people to have. Um, but I, I, I thought that was cool because it kind of does it like have his name CEO in training. I actually I don't know, but it literally it says in training. Huh. So when he shows up and meets with people, or like maybe they have like particular like conferences or meetings with other uh, people who own the different franchisees, um, it he does it on purpose. He goes, I do this on purpose to remind myself and other people hmm. that I'm also still learning, and this is a culture of learning, a culture of growing. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. That's important. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, if you think you've arrived, you get into these places of your life where you just get frustrated. Like, I wish I just knew how to do this. I should have already known how to do this. But rather than entering into things as an opportunity for growth, mm. um, having that growth mindset instead of that fixed mindset where, like, I'm expected to know all these things. Thus, I should be doing them well all the time. But instead, like, your whole life is a journey. You know, and there are there are those places, certain professions that have requirements for ongoing training and certification. Mm-hmm. Uh, so doctors and nurses have to recertify. Mm-hmm. They have to they have to be able to pass different tests so that they get their license to, to practice. And mm-hmm. so there's there's a requirement for ongoing mm-hmm. something else is continued training. Um, other professions, if you don't do it, you're just going to fall apart. Like if you're a lawyer and you're not keeping up on current. Uh, court cases that mm-hmm. might set a precedent for something else that you're going to do, then you're going to fall flat on your face yeah. as a litigator. I don't know that we always do that really well for priests and our ongoing formation of priests. Oh yeah. Because there's, there is always new stuff to learn. Um, mm-hmm. And there, there, there are new ways of, of approaching things. And sometimes we don't do a great job with that, that ongoing formation. Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely a space where it would be, it'd be really helpful. Oh, your buddy's um, going to IPS. IPF. IPF, my yeah. bad. N- no, that's okay. NFP, IPF. Just kidding. <laughs> IPF. <laughs> Institute of Priestly Formation. Yes, which is very different than natural Little family, family planning. planning. Very different. <laughs> very distinct items. Yes, very different. Both very good for the life of the church. <laughs> very good. Yes, yes. But very different. Both, both very yeah. proper to their vocation. No, you're right. Like A place like the Institute for Priestly Formation mm-hmm. that provides both for priests who are doing spiritual direction, uh, vocations mm-hmm. work, anything like that, that helps them to continue growing in their, in their own relationship with God, but also in their ability to carry out a particular ministry. Yeah. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. IPF also does a lot for guys who are in seminary to help give them a foundation. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's meant, um, it's meant both for formators and for seminarians. Oh, I thought it was just for formators. No, they, they have, ah. they have separate tracks. So in the summertime, they, they'll usually do a summer program for seminarians while there's a separate summer program for seminary spiritual directors. That's cool. It's very cool. Um, and, and really very, very good stuff. Even w- what we're doing with, uh, with Catholic Psych. Oh, it totally is formation. Right? It's formation. Yeah. It's ongoing, it's training, and it's yeah. applicable to the stuff that we're doing right now. Completely. Um, yeah. And actually that, that's why I was meeting with this priest yeah. to sit with him as, as, as a mentor to him. Um, yeah, every, to all, all of our newly ordained priests have, have a mentor 
who's a more experienced priest. I'm at the point now in my life where I'm, I'm considered an old priest. I am now a more experienced priest. Yeah, I know. Wow. See what happens. 15. Yeah. Yeah. You're old. (laughs) And so, (laughs) wow. Yeah. So I step into this role now to, to talk about first experiences with a priest and mm-hmm. it was great because first it's a little trip down memory lane mm-hmm. like i remember what it was like to be a newly ordained priest to be three months old and mm-hmm. all the things that i was <laughs> that i was doing and and experiencing for the first time and how exciting it was and i look back now and i, I kind of think oh that was cute <laughs> you, you didn't know you, you big dumb dumb what were you doing you know? <laughs> like i think about things that i, I would have done differently so there's a, there's a beauty in, in all of that mm-hmm. at the same time it's a real privilege to be able to, to be there with a newly ordained priest and to kind of offer that sounding board and that perspective on mm-hmm. what, what it's like a few years down the road, yeah. uh, what it looks like to, to have done all, all these things. Uh, but really it's a privilege to, to be reminded of it all too. Mm-hmm. Cause like, yeah. When was the last time I thought about those, those first days, mm-hmm. you know, it came up in my, my memories the other day. What did? On, like on, on Facebook on, on memories? The, on the Facebooks. Oh, okay. I, thought, yeah. I didn't know if it was like a um, mental memory. No. Do you remember that time when you first got here and I covered your entire office with sticky notes? Yeah. And I used whiteout to write notes to you on the sticky notes. <laughs> yeah. And one of the notes said, also, you're running low on whiteout. <laughs> And it was pictures of your office just, just covered, covered in, in my obnoxious post-it notes. It was great. Lamp, chair, <laughs> yes, computer, exactly. desk, that just popped Bible. Up. And it cracked me up, but it was like, that was eight years ago. I know. It was very long, long ago. So what would you say now if you were meeting a new youth minister? Hmm. Don't stress the small stuff. I'm kidding. <laughs> Be so stressed. You have to do so much. Um if you're feeling stressed you're right to be (laughs) (laughs) it's supposed to be stressful it's physically demanding emotionally exhausting but spiritually fulfilling wow i would sum it up in that way okay yeah i mean like listen when i was like getting into year six of being youth minister i was like my back can't take it anymore i i'm being so serious i was like can't this 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 a lot let's work with the older folks now (laughs) it is time to switch to the new age group (laughs) honestly it's great but then your back hurts from sitting on a desk all day so i'm like "Ah, i'm a puppy that cannot be contained (laughs) then what you realize is that back pain is just part of getting older yes that's it it's got nothing to do with the work that you're doing it's got everything to do with the fact that you're you're just getting old like me i know you're catching up i am catching up it's fine it's don't it's worry good. you can never close the gap no listen after rachel on friday at the young adult adoration said that i was a golden retriever i'm like someone is tell people about what this golden okay. retriever idea means because this i think it's it's, it's, a, it's a lovely image it's a lovely it's image a lovely image okay i also feel like i'm just as ditzy as a golden retriever like i am smart in some sense but also like really dumb and i don't want to say dumb maybe that's not the right word aloof I'm aloof when it comes to certain things I say or I do. Okay. You, you've seen this. <laughs> well, t- tell the story first. Okay, so the story and, is... And then we'll discuss your aloofness. This woman named Rachel, um, 
young woman, 25. She calls the office. She's like, hi, I'm becoming Catholic. Is there any way that I can involved in, get involved in a small group? She's called all these bunch of parishes in the area. Nobody's responded to her. And I was like, praise Jesus that we have set something up here because people are calling, asking for things. And I was like, Lord, I'm so glad that you put these things on my heart for you to be able to create these structures to welcome people. I was like, fantastic, Rachel. Um, we don't have a specific young adult Bible study with what you want to do, but hey, would you want to lead it? So now she's praying about it. She's discerning it. So I was like, hey, you should come to the young adult Bible um, adoration night. We get about like 40-ish people. It's really great. And then we have a bonfire under the lights. It's super hipster, millennial. It's great. Um, and it really is, honestly. Like you got the vibes there with the bistro lights. <laughs> so she introduces herself to me after uh, at the bonfire and she tells me hi it's rachel i'm so excited to meet you also i just wanted to let you know that you know like i was a little bit nervous to meet you i didn't want to come off too strong i was actually on the phone call with my boyfriend right before adoration and i was like i can't come off as a golden retriever to her too much because i i gotta like tone it down a little bit but then when i heard you speak after adoration inviting us to the bonfire i then realized you're also a golden retriever too and i was like oh my gosh yes <laughs> Like, it was the best. It was so beautiful. It was so awesome. It wasn't too much. It was perfect. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad Jesus brought you here. Like, <laughs> that was the best compliment I've ever received. I'm a golden retriever. I don't think that golden retrievers are ditzy, though. My experience with golden retrievers has, has been very much that they are, they're loyal. They're excited to see you. Happy to have you there. Yeah. And they will continue to retrieve things so long as, <laughs> as you throw it out there. So if you're throwing something, they're bringing it back to you. Like, yes. they're like, okay, what's next? What's next? Hey, I'm here. I'm mm -hmm. here. And, and there's a sensibility that they have that you are a person who, who is clearly in need of retrieving. <laughs> like, I'm, in, I'm in the it job is quite of evident, souls. Yeah, it's quite evident to me that you have something that needs to be retrieved. Please just tell me where it is. I'll go get it for you and bring it back to you. Please just, just tell me. Yes. So like, They'll sit there and they'll do that thing with their nose where they're just like nudging at you, nudging at you. Please come on, come on, come on. Me. Yeah, but it's because I know that you have something that's over there and, or, or that you can put over there so that I can bring it back to you. I'm here for I'm here for you. Please let me retrieve for you. This is great because it's, it's like it's like we're golden retrievers for Jesus. Yeah. I think it's I think that's a beautiful thing. I think it's a good thing. <laughs> yes. yes. I, I was praying about that. I was like, Jesus, thank you so much. Cause I think coming to a place where like I thought I was like shy and quiet in high school, never really talked. And now I don't like shut up, but like, I get so excited to meet new people and like, and invite them into things. And so just to see how beautiful these young adult adoration nights has been. So mm. like we had some, so like the, the Chinese guy that you met, Stefan, he came all the way from Westchester, New York. Yeah. I was impressed actually. So th this particular night we had people coming from a whole bunch of places whole bunch of places. and I actually wasn't sure if I was going to make it back in time. Mm. So I was really glad that I, I got back when I did. So the, the timing was great. I was able to pop in the confessional yeah. and be available there. And then yeah. I came out for the, for the bonfire and I, I looked around and I said to somebody at one point, I went, it's weird being the oldest person at a young adult night <laughs> because <laughs> I was the oldest person at the young adult night. <laughs> Let me tell you, that's different. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're older than Father Blashford. Yeah. Oh, that's so yeah. interesting. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at this group going. I am the oldest person here. Wow. Wow. It was it was different. 
it was different. No, that's that's a whole thing that I'm I'm getting used to. I don't yeah. I don't really mind at all. It's fine. Yeah, you're entering that um, wise age where you just teach and pass on a legacy. Chris, do we have the capacity to bleep things? Because I was just going to say wise ass, but you know. <laughs> keep it in. <laughs> keep it in. That was funny. We can be the. We can put the e on this episode. We can, we can be the other Catholic podcast other with Catholic, an explicit ex reading. Exactly. Exactly. That's funny. That's actually really funny. I actually said that once. This is this is a funny joke for my dad. Uh, when I was in in seminary, uh, our house psychologist counselor would meet with all of the guys in their first year um, in the first month or so that they were there to just kind of review their, their psychological evaluation, mm -hmm. talk to them about any particular needs that they might be experiencing. Um, and just to see how they were doing to do like a quick mm -hmm. check-in. How's, how's it going for you? You're in a different country, new, new environment, bigger stresses, far from home. How, how are you feeling? And so it was, it was a great check-in, really, really beautiful. So part of the, uh, the, the interview would always be about family of origin talking mm -hmm. about your family and, and all this stuff. And I told him something. I don't remember what it was that I told him, uh, but I said something that my father had told me. And he said, sounds like your father's a very wise man. <laughs> I said, yeah, he's a wise guy. And, <laughs> and <laughs> I just, I couldn't Mike help myself. to this episode. Yeah. Well, he would know. He would understand fully that that's, <laughs> that that's correct. And then he'd hit me in the back of the head. He's you know? like, because he's a wise guy. You know, but he's also a wise man. He's both things. He's both things. Both. He's, he is, he's both. It's possible to be both. That's funny. You know. <laughs> yeah, I, I found the experience of being the uh, the oldest person in young adult night interesting. Yeah. I'm the oldest of the young adults, and I'm actually not a young adult anymore. I don't count. Not yet. I'm I'm out of the I'm out of the age range. Don't you already? Isn't it like next week? You're yeah, it's it's, it's actually, but like that's the that's the age range though. It's like it's, it's actually it's usually a little bit before then. It for thirty nine, thirty five. I don't know who yeah. decides these things. Right, exactly. It doesn't make any sense. But needless to say, there have been so many glory stories in these last couple of weeks where it's like, wow, this is why it's so important to build what we're building here at St. Pius because people are looking for things and to have that structures in place. And and it it did kind of hurt my heart. Like she spent time. She lives in Milford. Mm. Okay. And the only reason she went to St. Pius was because she works at one of the elementary schools as a music teacher. That's so cool. Yeah. And she goes, yeah, I just kind of stopped in for August 15th for the feast day of the Assumption and just like was like, wow, I need to get to know this church a little bit more and then got my information. Um, but it's it's so amazing to know that we had something ready to receive her, but it also broke my heart where... I don't know how many parishes she had to call yeah. just to, and this is someone who's excited to serve. This was excited. This is someone who was excited to like jump in and, and have a community, hmm. but how many parishes actually aren't prepared to receive people, uh, to form them and to like plug them in. Yeah. So that, that for me well, was such a conviction and, and, and there's different cultures and different, but if we're talking about ongoing premise, formation, mm -hmm. all right, let's, let's look at that from the perspective of, of ongoing formation. Part of the reason that ongoing formation is necessary is that some circumstances change. Mm -hmm. If you're in the medical field, the reason that you do ongoing medical training is that there have been new discoveries. There's mm -hmm. new medicines that have been developed. There's new diagnostic techniques, new ways Studies to approach different things. Like yeah. That. If you're in the mental health field, there's, there's new techniques for counseling and mm -hmm. for, for offering support that's, that's needed. Um, if you're, if you're a lawyer, there's, there's new laws that have been passed and this is, this is how to defend somebody from a charge about this law, mm -hmm. or this is how to, 
uh, understand how the courts are determining what what counts <laughs> under the, this umbrella. Yeah. Like all those things are, are really important. So you've got to do that ongoing formation, that ongoing training, because it helps you to continue to develop. Right. A lot of times, um, and this actually came up in my conversation with the new priest today. A lot of times, our, our parishes get kind of stuck in certain things, and it's not because there's a deliberate desire to just remain in one place. Mm-hmm. It, it's more that there's we've we've fallen into sort of a habit mm-hmm. this is what we do and we don't really need to change but you'll see that happen in schools you'll see it happen oh, yeah. in businesses mm-hmm. and very often it's it's when there's the resistance to uh to adjust begins mm-hmm. and that's when there can be a challenge now there's a difference in the life of the church that we have to be cautious about the difference in the life of the church is that we stand on the unchanging truth of the gospel yes that that God has definitively revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. through the scriptures, through the living tradition of the church. And so there are things that do not change Mm -hmm. about what we believe, Exactly. but there are ways that we change in our pastoral care and in our evangelical approach. Yeah. When we can make the distinction between what has to change about our evangelization, what changes about our pastoral care, and what changes about our dogma and our teaching. Mm-hmm. Nothing changes about what we teach. No. How we teach it, how we hand it on, can adjust according to culture, according to place and time. Right. Right. When, we, when we're able to hold that and, and reverence that reality, mm-hmm. something really beautiful can take place. This is the quote from John Paul II. He says that he invites the faithful to present the same timeless gospel in a new way, new in ardor, new in method, new in expression. Yeah. That's JP too. That's it. It's Augustine. Mm-hmm. Late have I loved you, beauty ever ancient, a, ever new. That's what I wanted to call you in the beginning of the podcast. You wanted to call me old... beauty ever ancient, ever new? Thank <laughs> no, you. Oh, no. I am no, a oh, beauty wait, ever ancient, ever new. Oh, no. Thank you. I did it. I wanted to call you ancient of days. But then I was in my brain, I was like connecting it to St. Augustine's like beauty ever ancient, ever new. But I really just wanted to call you ancient of days. That That's works. that. See, that was like the ADD kind me. of meeting. I love it. <laughs> That was a connection. No, it's, it's a good... Although it really doesn't have a connection at all. No, but it's a good melting of things. I like it. I am the beauty ever ancient, ever new. Who can call the podcast that? Ancient of days. I am the beauty ever ancient, ever new. That's, that's where we're going. It's a really long podcast. Guess who gets to name the podcast? Yeah, you're the one who does it. You always do it. Um, but yeah, but that's... It's actually... It's it, it was really... It was such a good reminder and it was such a... This would be a place where we can look and say that parishes, mm-hmm. it would be good for parishes to also have some kind of ongoing formation, mm-hmm. like a recognition of, of what some of the needs are so that we can best meet actual needs. Yeah. Not for the sake of, uh, what's the, what's the evangelical term? The seeker sensitive. Mm-hmm. There's not to say there shouldn't be a sensitivity to people who are looking or mm-hmm. searching. Of mm-hmm. course there should be. But not for the sake of like the consumerist mentality. Right, exactly. Let's just let's just sell people the product that they want. Right. But rather let's help them to really engage in that search. Let's be there in those in those places where, where they need to be. And a lot of parishes, if they're not prepared for that, or if they don't if they don't realize that they I don't have this thing that you asked about. Mm-hmm. Well, if I don't have it, then I'm sorry, I must not be able to help you. Right. Instead of realizing, no, you know, we don't have that. But here's the thing that would most closely relate to it. Mm-hmm. Or here's the place that you might plug in that would be similar. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing that maybe you could do 
here, a way that you can engage yeah. so that you can, uh, you can find, uh, eventually get to that thing that you're looking for. Right. right? Exactly. And a lot of us don't really know how to do that. Now that's, no. that's on, on pastors, but it's also on parish staff. It's on lay mm -hmm. faithful. Right? Well, that's that, kind of that, a universal con uh, condition that we have. It's a training. It's yeah. a formation thing. So like to be able to have that kind of vision and think about it. Um, I mean, like the way that I do things right now is literally just because of focus the things that I learned. So I just kind of implemented here in a focused way. What did you think about my like super ever long email that I sent on Thursday? You didn't read it. <laughs> I know. I, I, I read it. Oh, you did? Yeah. Father Brennan was like, that was a lot. I got to read it in chunks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I was like, I can't do a video. So I was like my, trying to tell everybody. My caution possible. to you will yes. be, will be the same thing that I wrote on those little scraps of paper. Be careful of buzzwords. Just be, be real careful of, of the vocabulary because, because everything you're talking about is really good. Yeah. Like you're casting a, a vision that's really important. And actually this is one of the things I love because you're casting that, that vision that that's really important at a certain point, implementation needs to happen. Yeah. And going back to the vision doesn't help implementation mm -hmm. in a certain way. Obviously the, we have to keep the vision. Mm -hmm. If we're trying to do something, we have our, our vision. So we have the big categories that we're looking at. But now we need to start to get into the the real down to earth details, the nitty gritty. Here's what we're doing. Here's the schedule. We start at this time. We do this thing. We do this thing. We do this thing. We need to be able to do that. Yes. Without getting too much into the falling back to the well, like the big picture, the big ideas. No, and I don't. Right? I definitely want to do that. So, like, so what are your thoughts on this? Because this I thought was interesting. In our planning, we have planned so many different things, and it's a lot of it is kind of trial and error. You kind of see what sticks. Yep. What do people respond to? I kind of like that approach sometimes. Let's throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> see what drips down. <laughs> I like that, but I also like a plan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, so one thing that I thought was very interesting was I did begin to wonder how many people in, in our parish demographics, um, let's talk in baseline, are comfortable with spiritual conversations. Oh, yeah, sure. Like, because that was something that um, I was kind of noticing like, oh, you know, like we're not even talking about sharing a testimony, leading a Bible study or doing anything of that, of that of, in that notion, but just how many are actually comfortable with spiritual conversations. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to know what your thoughts were on that. Uh, my sense would be that most people are not instinctively comfortable with that mm -hmm. until they get some guidance. So where do people find guidance for spiritual conversation? Most of them. If they, if they didn't have it at home, let's mm -hmm. say, they'll find their first experience of, of a spiritual conversation takes place during a retreat. Mm -hmm. And during the retreat, there's, a, there's an opportunity to, in a small group, talk about something. Mm -hmm. And that's where there's some questions that are laid out and the facilitator throws out the question and then the people in the small group are able, able to offer an answer. Okay. And as they're talking about these things, the subject comes up and they're, they're sharing more and they become capable of having that spiritual conversation. Just made this worse. So it's, <laughs> she keeps Sorry. taking her glasses off, cleaning them, putting them back on, taking them off, cleaning them, putting them back on. But they become more foggier as I do that. So I'm just going to be blind for this. Okay, that might be a metaphor though. What? We keep taking the glasses off, cleaning them, trying to make them better, and they're just getting worse. They just need to be sometimes, washed with soap, like I baptism. Think, <laughs> I think no. I think sometimes the the issue is is not that we're, uh, is not that that the the thing itself is is so dirty that we've got to keep cleaning it and keep cleaning and keep cleaning it. Sometimes we have to let it be. Sometimes we have to let certain things sit there, and then we can get to that place. Mm. 
So okay. we're trying so many, we keep trying to, to fix it. This is like religious ed. Or right? you just totally wash it. And... The, well, the, the number one thing that happens with like a religious ed program is mm. like, well, we're going to start using this book. That book didn't really work well. So we'll switch to this yeah. book. That book doesn't really work switching. well. We'll do yeah. this confirmation program or that mm -hmm. confirmation program and constantly changing, but nothing actually sticks. Mm -hmm. Nothing actually works. The vision hasn't been clarified. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyway, I think most people, spiritual conversation is something that they would actually like, but they don't really know how to engage with it mm -hmm. in part because they've not had the experience of doing it. And so they need, they need a space where they can, where they can have the experience. Yes. And then once they've had the experience and they realize that having a spiritual conversation isn't dangerous. It's not that intimidating. Ultimately it it's not. Be. It's it, at first it can be, but yeah. in, in the end, when you start to do it, you realize, oh, this is actually pretty safe. And this yeah. is, this is pretty simple. Yeah. Um, so if they have the experience with it, if we just kind of expect that they can do it, um, or that they understand the notion of testimony, testimony no, is, is yeah. a, is a, a typically Protestant term and like the way that it's usually used in America. Really? Yeah. If I'm going to give testimony, that's, that's being a, that's, that's Protestant. Oh, Catholics do witness talks. You know, we'll switch to witness. Yeah. <laughs> so like, but, but seriously, like that's, yeah. that's where you're most likely to hear it. And so, especially yeah. for a lot of Catholics and new England Catholics in particular, oh, exactly. they're, they're going to hear something like testimony and go, uh, no, <laughs> yeah, no, thanks. I'm not a Southern Baptist. Yeah. Um, even though it's got nothing to do with being Southern Baptist yeah. or, or mega church evangelical necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's just, that's kind of the association. Like, no, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to testify, brother. You know, like they don't, <laughs> they don't want to be in, in that, in that space. Yeah. But if they're given some, some guidance, some pointers, some conversation starters, having a, a spiritual conversation, engaging with somebody to talk about their relationship with God can actually be, be very helpful Yeah, and can happen. Now, where I see it happening kind of beautifully is this will happen a lot. Parents and their kids in the car on the way home from mass. Mm. Spiritual conversation happens there because they'll talk about what was the homily about? Mm -hmm. And they'll get into a conversation or a kid will ask mom or dad something. Um, does God really do this? Or do you think that God knows about this? Yes, <laughs> and so yeah. that there's an invitation to a conversation. Now, is yeah. it spiritual in the sense of like sharing the deepest part of my heart? No, it's, yeah. a, it's Bible trivia. You know, <laughs> it's, it's something simple. But yeah. there's this spiritual component where there's, there's a certain freedom to talk about that. Well, yeah. if, if we can develop that and help families, help people to understand more deeply what that looks like, what that means. And we're going to, we're in a good place. Yeah. That for me has been the thing that has brought more clarity entering into this year um, in terms of planning is really asking, well, before we can do anything else is, are people even comfortable having spiritual conversations? Mm. And you're right. So I was praying about this while I was at Damascus <clears throat> and at Damascus. <clears throat> wow. I can't, I'm choking on like myself. Um, <laughs> sorry. She's not like eating I'm not, her own hand I'm or anything air like that. And it's I can't just, swallow air. Nothing has happened. Absolutely nothing is happening here. I'm always astounded at the culture at Damascus. So this was the second time I went. I told Emily that I wanted to be a chaperone because I like being treated like a princess when I'm there because mm -hmm. I get a bed and I get good food mm -hmm. and it's really, really nice. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing that always inspires me is that they have truly created a culture of encounter um, through hospitality. Buzzword. Buzzword. What is a culture of encounter? Encountering the Lord through uh, relationships with other people. Mm -hmm. um, or 
how they beautifully set up an encounter with Jesus in the way that mass is celebrated so reverently. They put Latin in it. Can you imagine like all these middle school kids like singing like Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus? Yeah, like, of course I can imagine that. Of because, course. Because they're fully capable of they're it. And all this, all this nonsense that kids can't handle that is insane. What are the liturgical wars? All you have to do is teach them really simple things and the kids go, okay, I get it. It's beautiful. And they're fine. They're totally fine. The kids are fine. They love it, actually. Yeah, they can handle it's this. it's different. Kids are smart. Kids are capable. <laughs> kids are, are adaptable. Yeah. They, so, they'll, they'll do it. They're such, they're such, um, they, did, they do orthodoxy so beautifully, but they also make it so invitational and, and right for like middle schoolers and right for high schoolers. And then they also serve young adults and, um, and men and women on their retreats. And the question I kept asking myself is, how can I bring Damascus back? to St. Pius. Well, you can't. I can't. You but... can't because Damascus does what it does because it is a thing set apart from everything else that they would normally do. Oh, you know, I would challenge because my spiritual director asked me, oh, you loved it so much. How can you bring Damascus back? No, no, no. So there's, there's, <laughs> there, there are things that you learn there, lessons yes. that you learn that can be applied. Yes. But Damascus itself must remain oh, yes. a separate place. Yes. Like there's, there's a reason that you go up the mountain to pray and then you come back down with mm -hmm. Jesus and down it's, the plane. And so... Coming back here, it was it was just like I'm excited to come back because as I need like that formation, like everybody does, like those retreats, it's a constant reminder of like what is God doing in my life and how does he want me to continue that mission of what he's doing in my life in the spaces that I'm in. And one of those things that kept coming up was just spiritual conversations. It's so simple, it's so basic, but it's like the layer one of evangelization. Mm -hmm. Can we just talk about Jesus? And then I'm like, I'm going back to New England <laughs> where nobody really talks to each other. And then jokingly, <laughs> jokingly, all. I was like, I was thinking about it as like, is New England then just a manifestation of personality disorders? Where like, <laughs> no, no. So the, you, you've heard you've heard the difference, right? That in New England, we're friendly but not nice. <laughs> in the South, oh, they're nice but not friendly. Right. Interesting. Like we're very friendly here, mm -hmm. but like you you won't ex you won't expect a big warm hello like the <laughs> the big like oh hello it's so nice to have showy, you here like, yeah yeah um but like deeply friendly oh yeah like, you know, oh, for sure we'll, we'll help you sure no problem um <laughs> you ever like give directions to somebody around here it's been here? a long time yeah. people have GPSs now yeah it's like so. some, some, somebody gets a little bit lost and they're like looking for, for directions and, yeah. and you, you point them in the right direction like I realized this when I was um, when I was in, in seminary in being in Rome because my New England would come out when I'd run into American tourists who would, would ask directions or mm -hmm. something so one day these very very nice and friendly I'll, I'll give them this but clearly from the south came up to me these two ladies and they said excuse me do you speak English and I said yeah I speak a little <laughs> and they asked for directions and I gave them directions and uh, I thought that they would get the joke that when I said yeah I speak a little in perfect English without an accent that they would understand that I was just joking but they didn't they didn't catch on they didn't so catch I said on. yeah I speak a little and then they 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 proceeded to ask for directions which I gave them and they said you speak the best English of anyone we've met so far <laughs> no they didn't and I was like well oh I, sarcasm yeah I said I'm, I'm sorry I'm I, I thought you understood the joke that I was making. 
I'm American. You had to explain the joke to them? Oh my gosh. What was their response? Then they thought it was funny, but it was just like, (laughs) when you have to explain it, it's not, it wasn't, it was no longer entertaining for me. Now it was a guilt trip. I felt bad that I had like, you know, fooled them, which I was, I wasn't doing it to fool them. I just was trying to be funny. They didn't get it. That's really funny. So there's, there's, there's a friendliness. So this is the thing that I'm I'm always impressed by here. Mm -hmm. The number of people who come to this parish for the first time, yeah, who came because their neighbor, yeah, or their kids' friends' parents, mm-hmm. or somebody who they talk to, a coworker or somebody like that, you said, go you Pius. should go to St. Pius. Yeah, they they heard from somebody this was a good place. They heard from somebody this is a place where your faith is going to be nurtured. What that tells me mm-hmm. is that there are plenty of people yeah. who are having spiritual conversations. Yeah, There are plenty of people out there who are, are having these kinds of conversations with their friends. And there are plenty of people who are ready to answer questions or feel like they ought to answer questions mm-hmm. when their friends bring them up. Yeah. So here comes a question about something about the, about the church. I haven't been to church in X number of years. Mm-hmm. And there's somebody from St. Pius who's saying, that's interesting. What's going on? Yeah. And actually inviting. So there, there is the capacity for spiritual conversation. Yeah. But I think for most people, they have to know the full context. If you just say, are you comfortable having spiritual conversation? For most people, I think the answer is no, I'm not. Yeah. But they're already but, doing it. Exactly. They're already doing so it. So if, if we add some things to it, are yeah. you comfortable when you're with these people, friends, viewers, right. with people who are asking questions right. um, at this place or at this kind of a time, are, are you comfortable answering questions? Are you comfortable sharing something about your own experience Mm -hmm. of praying, of going to church, of of going to adoration? Yes. I think then the answers start to shift. Yes. When it's just thrown out there, are you are you comfortable testifying, sharing your testimony of God's action in your life? No, no, thank you. <laughs> but then they don't realize that they've actually been doing it they've for years. They've already been doing it. And right? so it's just walking them into that next space. And which is why I'm so excited for the revival nights, because it is going to have that component. It's about helping them to understand yeah. what their experience is and that their experience actually fits under the umbrella mm-hmm. of this buzzword. I'm really not trying to be buzzword. I'm just naming it what it is because that's what it is. But it all it already is being lived out in the norm. Right. So it's like you're already kind of doing right. it. So there's there's a thing that you learn as a philosophy major that's just obscene uh, because it's so annoying when you have to do it. You have to take a class called epistemology. Oh, joy. We love words. Yeah. Epistemology is the philosophy of thinking. Mm. Let me tell you, it's not an exciting class. <laughs> but you start thinking about thinking mm-hmm. and the process of thinking. Mm-hmm. And so you're breaking down everything that's happening. And you start to realize that, well, this thing, this way of, of doing things, this way that my brain works and starts thinking about this fits under this category in this. And so when I talk about this, what I'm really talking about is this process happening. Yeah. I'm aware of the process already because I, I, I experience it constantly. Yeah. I was never aware of what it's called. Mm-hmm. Well, now I have a category that that can go in that, that now I have something that I can call it. Okay. Now with that, then I'm going to go to this. I'm going to start thinking about this. Yeah. We do the same thing though with all of our different disciplines. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about theology. Well, uh, I'm talking about Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Read the gospel of Mark and the gospel of Mark says, uh, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as father John O'Donnell told us in Christology, he said, right from the very beginning, Mark is doing Christology. Mm. He called him Lord and Christ. <laughs> so we have to pay attention right there. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, I'd like to read the rest of the gospel. No, stop right there. Those first like three words. Mm. There's, there's this 
this way in which it's giving language to what you already kind of know exactly intuitively, but you just don't have the word for it. Right. So it's, it's moving from intuition to definition. Mm, I like that. That's good. So intuition is important because we we have the sense of what's going on, but then we start to define it more clearly Mm -hmm. with that definition. Then we're able to understand more things and we're able to put things kind of in, in their right order. So you take all the Legos out of the box Mm-hmm. And instead of the big pile, mm-hmm. which you know eventually is going to be a pirate ship or whatever the thing is that you're Harry building. Harry Potter world. Anyways, just kidding. Whatever you want. Harry Potter world. It can be whatever you want. <laughs> Legos. Haven't you seen the Lego movie? Everything is awesome. Everything is great when you're part but of it. But in the, the second movie, it's different. I didn't see the second one. I watched it with the Potaro kids. It's I, actually like way like. I watched Lego Batman and loved every minute of it. <laughs> Absolutely loved every minute of it because. Oh my goodness, it's so funny. It's just fantastic. <laughs> the second Lego movie was like, it's okay if not everything is awesome, but you can make something out of it. And I was like, ooh, that is a lesson. Yeah. So number two kind of shifted, okay, which was good. But anyways, to your point. I was just going with the theme song of, of the first Lego movie. Uh, well, yeah, I know it's a good, everything, everything is, is awesome. awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Okay. Anyway. Intuition, definition. Intuition. We know we know what it could be, mm-hmm. but then we start to define it more clearly. Or like you have all these pieces. Mm-hmm. I don't know what this one is called. It's it's the little two piece one. I'm, it's, <laughs> is this the gumbajigger that goes into the other? Yeah, thing, it's it's the it's the long skinny one with the three things on top and the and the and the yeah, yeah. yes yeah. I'm sure that each of those Lego blocks has a name. Mm-hmm. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. It's like putting together IKEA furniture. They've got these ridiculous names for everything. The, the Flugensturgen. You know? <laughs> wow, like, oh yeah, good. just just hand me one of those. You know, the Flugensturgen. Yeah. And, and so you're you're putting together all of this stuff, and you have the sense of what it should be, but you need to know what it's called. Yeah. And as you know what it's called, well, the component parts, knowing what they are and how they fit together, how they work, actually gives you a fuller picture. It does. So it's not just an intuitive picture. Right. But it's it's now the fuller picture, which gives you a deeper understanding. You know, if if you know how something is made, uh, and and what it's made of, like I can still know what it is. Mm-hmm. Like I can look at a car. Mm-hmm. Say, I know what a car is. Mm-hmm. But when I start to learn all the different parts, right. I learn what a carburetor does. Yeah, and I learn how the different pistons in the engine fire and what these lines will do. Then I have the, the, a deeper sense of what the vehicle actually is yes. what it's about what's happening so you move from that intuition which just says yeah I, I get it to that deeper level and oh, i really understand and then you can work on application right like how to how do you build more to it because that's one of the things i remember we talked about it when we started the cp map program it gave words to things that we kind of like intuitively knew but i didn't have a word for it right. and now that i had a word for it i was like oh my gosh the map of the human person is so much bigger i see things that i couldn't see before it makes sense, but it also helps direct your actions and your thoughts. I'm like, okay, it actually needs to go that way, not that way. So, and the same thing is true with evangelization. So to your point, I can see like when you just use buzzwords, and that was my issue with a lot of things that have come out recently. Um, what's the line in a Princess Bride? I don't think- I don't think that word means what, what you think, think it, it means. means. And how often that gets overused in Catholic evangelization. Yeah. And it's like irritating because first it has to be a lived experience. Mm-hmm. Like it, evangelization is a lived experience. It's not a theoretical thing that you just kind of read about. Um, and so that living relationship with the church, that living relationship with our Lord um, in the sacramental life. And then also with 
with each other, like all of those things set the foundation for like that building up of that culture. Yeah. Go back to when you were getting trained as a focus missionary. I learned so many abbreviated words. (laughs) They actually have a glossary now in the back of your manual. (laughs) But as you were being trained, you were learning a whole bunch of things about how to missionary. Mm-hmm. how to do the mission, how to, how to go out and evangelize, how to talk about it, mm-hmm. right? And as you learned all of those things, they were really good. Mm-hmm. But somewhere in the back of your mind, I would imagine, I would venture this guess. Tell me if I'm insanely speculating here. Okay, I will let but you But know. somewhere in the back of your mind, you somewhere were thinking, I don't know if I can do this. Always, always. Right? Always. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere you were going, I don't know it's if this is actually going to work, if mm-hmm. I'm actually the right person to do this, if I actually have what it takes. Mm-hmm. Somewhere back there, that doubt and that question was there. But what happened? Mm-hmm. You went out. I tried it. And you did it. And all of a sudden, all those lessons that you learned, all those things that you had studied, all that training that mm-hmm. you had had suddenly came out. Mm-hmm. And there you were putting it into action, actually implementing these things that you had mm-hmm. learned no longer as a theory, but now as a lived reality. Mm -hmm. But what came first? Well, first came the encounter with our Lord. Then came the formation. Because before before you were were trained, someone brought you. Oh, yeah. Someone brought you to that point. Mm -hmm. So before I learned the faith, my parents had me baptized. Mm -hmm. And they brought me to church. Yeah. And then they sent me to religious ed, to Catholic school, Mm -hmm. where the stuff that we did at home and the stuff that I had been led to, that I had been brought into the encounter with God through, those things now started to take deeper shape. Yeah. And I started to get a better idea. And then I was brought into this place of, I think that Jesus is calling me to do this for others. Yeah. And there comes that time where I don't know if I can do this. Mm-hmm. Talking to a new priest today. And that new priest is talking about all the things that he learned in seminary mm-hmm. that are all very theoretical. I know. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he's putting it into action. and yeah. He's actually doing it. And what you learn about the thing that you learned about, you spent all this time learning about it, studying it. Now you're doing it. And now you're doing it. And all of a sudden you understand it much better because you're understanding it from the inside. Right. You know. Exactly. So we can throw out the idea of spiritual conversation to people. We can throw out the idea of giving testimony to people. Mm -hmm. But until they actually realize that they've been doing it, Mm -hmm. that it's already part of their experience, Mm -hmm. the word by itself sounds too intimidating right unless you help to define it hey what you've already been doing is spiritual conversation but that's that's the whole point right yeah is that we're, we're showing them what they've been doing right so that they can understand it now in this context yeah. and be even more intentional about doing it exactly. and equipped better with uh, new skills new learning um a, a new vocabulary for it yeah and and a a more a more robust sense of what this thing that they already have been doing really means yeah you know, mm-hmm. like, do you realize how much more powerful what you already do could be if you made this one little change mm-hmm. or if you added this one element? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Yeah. I'm really excited for this year. But that's the, that's the kind of ongoing formation that mm-hmm. um, if a parish can engage with that mm-hmm. and can recognize that this is, this is actually the way to do it, this is a good thing, then the the stagnation mm-hmm. that we experience sometimes can mm-hmm. really be avoided. Yeah. There's always going to be some of that. You know, the, the, I've, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before that uh, the Holy Spirit raises up certain charisms. Mm-hmm. So certain gifts are inspired by the Holy Spirit for the life of the church, for the good of the church, for the building up of the kingdom of God. Yeah. Uh, but some of those charisms 
are not permanent. No, you're right. There are some charisms that the Holy Spirit gives to the church at a particular time and place. Mm -hmm. And some of those charisms die away. And I think in the same way, a lot of, uh, a lot of things that happen in parishes Mm. are meant for a time and a place. Mm-hmm. And then some things die away. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's really good for them to die away. Sometimes they don't die, they go dormant. Mm. And it's really important for them to, to lie dormant for a little while because they need somebody to look at them with, with fresh eyes. Actually, the last episode of the, of the tangent, we interviewed uh, uh, Father Basil Nortz. And he uh, is part of a, a, an order. I can't think of the name of the order right now, but the order had died out. Oh, wow. And when this group in the... I want to say late seventies was looking to start a new religious congregation. They went to the, they went to the Holy See and asked for permission. They said, well, don't start a new one. Uh, why don't you look and see if there's a, a religious congregation that has fallen into disuse that's, that's died yeah. out and that's what that it's you, called? that you can revive. Fall into disuse. And, yeah. That's, oh, so there, wow. there are certain customs that like simply go away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you might want to revive an ancient custom. That's cool. Um, so it's no longer being used, but it's, perfectly fine it's like people today with like 90s clothing 90s and no not really but like that, that's again my brain i'm sorry <laughs> hairspray it's fallen into disuse but you could start to use it again if you want to have a perm that's fine sure it's fallen into disuse Trucker but you necklaces can do are it. coming back yeah <laughs> i just want some puka shells right here you know? uh, no the, the, but this this religious order had had died out mm-hmm. and they revived it and so it's this old religious order so that cool. was dormant for a couple hundred years, and then wow. they, they started it over again. That's so they, they kind of refounded, but they still look to the original founder as their founder. Wow. So even though they're living it out in a slightly different way, slightly modified, they've restored this, this order, this religious order that had, that had fallen apart. That is so it cool. It disappeared, yeah. It's really fascinating. That is really, really cool. Um, and so this is the kind of thing that we might need to look at, at things that have have gone by the wayside and say, maybe that should come back. Like the confraternity of Christian doctrine. Mm-hmm. I actually, I don't really know enough about this. And this is a, a this is a lack on my part. I should study mm-hmm. more. I should, I should learn, mm-hmm. like really read up on this, but the confraternity of Christian doctrine is CCD, right? which is what we normally call religious ed, but almost no place anymore no. actually has the confraternity of Christian doctrine. We've right. just gotten into the habit of calling religious ed CCD. But properly speaking, what we do here is not CCD. It it's is not, not the confraternity of Christian doctrine, mm-hmm. which is a whole thing, a whole way of, of approaching faith formation, a whole way of approaching the teaching and the handing on the catechesis of children. And it's meant to actually right. happen in schools, actually. So CCD is meant well, for schools. It, it is. But then it got put into parishes, which actually was not intended for. Well, Pius X wanted every parish to have the confraternity of Christian doctrine in it. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. So no, our, the word is religious patron, education. Right. So our, our patron saint wanted yes. the confraternity of Christian doctrine to exist in every parish okay. as, as a, uh, as a communal approach yeah. to handing on the faith. But this is where I'm like, actually, it made sense at the time. Well, I, and I think it, I think it still does. It would yeah. have to be, uh, it would have to be adjusted and modified. I think yeah. it still exists, Yes. but nobody really knows what it, what it is. is. It's, it's one of those things that it does exist, at least on the books. Yeah. In practice, too, it does exist. But the, I don't think that there's many people who really understand what it is right. and what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Maybe the people who are running the confraternity of Christian doctrine, whoever they may be, I literally don't know. Yeah. Maybe that would be a thing that they'd want to pay attention to, that there's there's a need for this, but nobody knows what it is. What it is, yeah. I 
okay that makes sense I so we have go back to this we have a name yeah but what if we could start to talk about what that really means mm-hmm. right? we've been talking uh, we've been doing this thing and saying that it's this but we might actually just be mislabeling what we're doing mm-hmm. well and maybe instead of mislabeling it, if we understood what the name actually means yes then we'd strengthen what we're doing right i mean that goes to my point of even the term religious education mm-hmm. it is only proper to schools like catholic schools and that was what it was intended for um this was one of the lessons uh, that i yeah. had learned um it was like the one class at Franciscan before I decided to drop out of Franciscan. And I was shocked. I was like, oh, so you mean every parish in the country has been doing religious ed, but the religious ed is proper to schools, not to parishes. Right. And that means that's different. Mm-hmm. That is a different approach mm-hmm. to handing on the faith because in a parish, you have to do it differently. Yeah. And then you didn't. And so here we are. Mm-hmm. And I was fascinated by that blunder. I was like, what? Scandalous. Yeah. It was very interesting. It's it's amazing stuff. It really was. But when you read about religious education, you're like, oh, that's what it is. That's what it's supposed to be. Honestly, every time this, it was really good. But when you look at what the church says and what the church teaches, the countless times that I go, so that's what it's supposed to be. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's so like, it's so sad. I'm like. That's what we're supposed to be doing? That's what that means? That's how I felt the first time I read the general instruction of the Roman Missal. Oh, sorry about that. I, the first time I read the germ, I was looking at it going, that's not what I experienced growing up. Oh, gosh. That's not what we did at my church. Oh, and then I started realizing just how like crazy pants things had gotten. Yeah. And then you start to realize how simple it is to follow what the general instruction says. You go, <laughs> oh. And actually, how it's and how beautiful. way nicer. Yeah, like the things that the church has put out is beautiful. It's stunning. It's in. It's fresh. Actually, it is like it is providing like direction. Our think, implementation has well, been. Well, I think off. I think we, we confuse. Uh, we confuse following instructions sometimes for being rigidly formulaic. Mm, that's a good point too. And there's a difference between yeah. implementing something. Mm-hmm following directions and being so rigid about it that there's that there's no life to it right you can follow a script leave room for the holy spirit yeah you can follow a script and it's going to be beautiful you can i mean look at an orchestra and what they play mm-hmm. whoever it is that wrote the piece that the that the orchestra is playing composed it in such a way that it was meant to to be played a certain way mm-hmm. and you can play it and you can play it without any heart and be technically precise yeah and it's fine mm-hmm or you can play it with some passion, still being technically precise, but also with a sense of uh, a sense of joy, a sense of, mm-hmm. of power, a sense of gravitas. You can do all of this, and it's and it's going to work. We can do the same thing with a lot of the things that the church teaches that, that the gospel calls us to. It doesn't mean that we have to be in this like rigidly formulaic approach, right? But we also have to realize that sometimes our creativity is just unnecessary. <laughs> like th- there are some things that you don't need me to be creative about that. You need me to be faithful. Mm. Mm-hmm. And there's other things where actually I need to be creative. You actually might like this. So Father oh, Lewis posted. She's going to send me some other stuff. <clears throat> well, no, it's just something that Father Lewis posted on Facebook this morning. And I thought it was really, really good. Father Lewis. I got to call Father Lewis. I miss him. You hang up with him. Well, he lives in another country, so yeah, I can't true. I can't claim that I hang out with him. But 
I do love to see him when he's around. It's very, very cool. So the church is intolerant in principle because she believes. She is tolerant in practice because she loves. The enemies of the church are tolerant in principle because they do not believe. They are intolerant in practice because they do not love. Fulton Sheen? No. G.K. Chesterton. Father Reginald something. Garagou Lagrange. Oh, I was way off. Okay. Who is this? Father Garagou Lagrange. He was a 20th century, 20th? Yeah, 20th century. I'm pretty sure 20th century theologian, writer. Mm. Yeah. Well, anyway. Thought that was pretty powerful. That was good. I like that. All right, let's wrap this up, Paula. Goodbye. (laughs) This is how a lot of our conversations in the office actually end. It's like, oh, I gotta go. Bye. See ya. (laughs) Roll like the lamb. I'm Father Sam Kajuba. Ciao for now. God bless you. (laughs) 